0: If someone went in and changed your military medical records, what would you do? Welcome to the Carry On Podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Roland. Today we are completing a two-part series with Adam Dorito. Adam was a member of the class of 2010 at the United States Air Force Academy, where he served as an informant for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Dorito informed on various cases of sexual assault at the academy, among other things, and would later be expelled from the Academy right before graduation, after being accused of fraternization. In this series, we're gonna get Adam's side of the story, discuss his pending court case, and propose potential legislation to prevent an equally important topic here, military medical record fraud. Adam Dorito currently serves as a paratrooper in the Colorado Army National Guard, and he recently started an investigative podcast on the United States Air Force Academy called Dark Saber. We at Carry On Podcast are always excited and supportive of anything with the word investigative in it. We always think it's important to get both sides of the story before making judgments. Thank you, Adam, for being here today.
1: Thanks for inviting me on, Lindsay. I always look forward to talking to you about these matters.
0: Of course. All right, let's get right in. Where did we leave off last time? We left off with the Academy, you exiting the Academy like on the sidewalk outside the Academy. Yeah. So uh, with that article, so yeah, so they literally
1: kicked me out on I-25, which is the main highway outside the academy. They took all of my money from that article 15. I had a quarter tank of gas left in my truck and that was it. There's no exit plan. No, there's another thing they screwed up. Like I didn't get any transition. Like I didn't get taps or anything. They just threw me out in the street, literally with the clothes on my back. And um, one of my family friends who was a Lieutenant Colonel at the time, he is actually stationed at norad at the time he actually came and helped me uh leave the academy and he cursed out my commander which was awesome um that was pretty fun he pretty much says uh you know you're a disgrace to the uniform that you're doing this to your own people (laughs) you know right he's like i was a fighter pilot in you know bosnia and i flew in the gold war on terror you haven't even been deployed basically just calling him out it was kind of funny um but that's how i left the academy so um my family friend and my roommate at the time richard meldrum he got in my truck, and we drove up to my sponsor's house. So at the Air Force Academy, you have a sponsor family you're assigned to if you're from out of state. So Phyllis and Walt, too, were my sponsor family at the time. And uh, I asked them, like, hey, I'm not gonna lie, I have nowhere to go. I couldn't even drive back to New Jersey now if I wanted to. Um, would you mind if I, you know, moved in with you until I figure out what's going on with my life? And <laughs> Phyllis, Phyllis and Walt took me in. And uh, it was a pretty emotional day. Like, I don't I don't know how I kept myself together. It was just kind of like, all right, I'm going to move my stuff from the academy. You know, like keep your world small. Don't even think about it. Get to Parker, unload the truck, and then try to figure out what I'm going to do with life. And um, I had like $500 left in my name, pretty much. And the only thing I could think about doing was working out. That's how I deal with stress. So uh, I would just go to the gym in Parker, Colorado, and I would just work out for eight hours a day. I had nowhere to go,
0: no job, nothing to do. All right, I got a couple questions here. Let's go back a second. Did you get a DD two fourteen? No. Did you ever get a DD two fourteen? A
1: year later, they mailed me one. Yep.
0: And you obviously didn't clear post because there was no <laughs> because that was not necessary. Um, and you you did keep your military ID card. Yep. But you were banned for seven years from just the Air Force Academy. That's it though. None of the other bases or correct. Okay. And then when you, when did they escort you to your barracks room to pick up your stuff and then escorted you out or?
1: Yeah. So the of the, the canine unit. Yeah. They walked around with me the entire
0: time. The same E3s that picked you up from um, your wreck march? No,
1: unfortunately not. <laughs> Cause they would probably have thought that was hilarious too, but no.
0: Okay. I mean, it's not funny. It's absolutely like crazy. It just is mind blowing, but anyways. Okay. So now we're working out.
1: Yeah, it's, it's massively traumatic, but this is how I deal with it, is I try to make it funny, so.
0: Yeah, and it has been 10 years, so I think things can become funnier after 10 years. Yeah,
1: because you just look at how absolutely ridiculous it is, and that's not how you kick people out of the military. I mean, it's been brought to my attention numerous times over the years that, like, there's convicted pedophiles who go to taps, at least, and have transition training before they throw <laughs> them out. They, I... I will say,
0: I will say, I don't think you missed a whole lot with taps, missing taps, but you know, I'm know.
1: i just saying they didn't, they didn't even, and this is, uh, one of our arguments has been over the years is that I was never properly discharged out of the military. They violated their own rules, right? So how I was kicked out of the military, you know, the article 15, uh, they actually weren't even allowed to give me an article 15 technically, because they gave me a direct article 15 for fraternization, but I was never an officer. And the person I was accused of being in a fraternizing with was not enlisted. So under the UCMJ, I technically wasn't chargeable. They would have had, they should have gave me an article 15 for violating a direct order, right? Like we discussed in the first podcast and then used an article, uh, disobeying a direct order of cadet fraternization to kick me out, which they didn't do, but that's an argument, legal argument for later on. But, um, so I'm working at this, working out at this gym and I was, I'd go there for like almost like three, four weeks straight, eight hours a day just trying to deal with stress. And eventually one of the personal trainers comes up to me and goes, dude, if you're going to be here every day, why don't you just work here? So that's how I got my first job out of the academy was I became, I took the rest of my money and I went to go take a personal training class. And that's how I got my certification to be a personal trainer uh, for NASM, the National Academy of Sports Medicine personal trainer. Um, And that's how I started earning money and being able to buy food. Uh, I actually got pretty skinny because, uh, I had no food for a very long time. So I was like living off of like, you know, granola bars and stuff. And you know, my, sponsor, my sponsor family would, uh, would feed me at, at night, but like, you know, breakfast and lunch and I go to work, I'm like, I'm just going to starve myself all day and drink water. Cause that's what meatheads do. You know? And my excuse of why I never had any food was no, uh, it's part of my fasting plan. No, it's like, no, I really had no money to buy food
0: oh my heart goes out to you i would have shared with you my food if i was there oh
1: it was an absolutely horrible experience um Aww. but whatever it, it is what it is and while i was there uh and this is what i'm thankful about my part of becoming a civilian so fast is i really had to reintegrate myself and how to talk to people you know when you're in the military for so long you are you're, you're kind of like socially moronic if that makes sense right and um being a personal trainer and having to, talk to people and motivate people and learn about people's individual needs and coming up with training programs for them um i mean it really was a great way for me to integrate into the civilian world and learning how to deal with people um and not be in that military mindset all the time and uh you know i met my girlfriend at the time and that i met her personal training you know we had a relationship for a few years and we kind of had a falling out after that but you know, I, I just tried to learn how to adapt to be a normal person. And that was a very hard lesson for me to learn was how to become a normal person and not constantly use the fallback of the military as a way of validating myself or credentialing myself, right? Uh, in the real world, there's a lot of veterans struggle with it constantly are putting on their resume or whatever. I did this in the military. Well, I'm going to be honest, in the civilian world, nobody cares.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's something I've and, talked about on other podcasts is like, nobody cares. Maybe the other person cares if they were a veteran, maybe,
1: but. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of like this art, my stars got crossed with this guy, but um, I met this gentleman. I had a stupid, one of those recruiter Marine Corps keychains on my key still. Cause I was like still tied, tying myself to some kind of resemblance of dignity and respect. And, and this Angry guy, like, looks at me, and I'm sitting at my desk, my personal training desk, and he comes up to me, goes, were you a Marine? I was like, well, kind of, like, for six weeks I was, I guess. <laughs> and we start talking about my situation with the academy, and he goes, well, I was in the Marines. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, and here's, I'm having a problem. He's like, I have to go get surgery on my knee, but I have to lose some weight before the VA will take me. And he goes, I'm also a lawyer. And he goes, I will trade you lawyer hours if you help me fix my knee and train me for free. And I had no money at the time. So I'm like, that sounds like a great deal. And that's when I met Matt Greifey. Matt Greifey is one of my primary attorneys right now. And uh, he actually is, I think, I'm not trying to speak for him, but I'm pretty sure he's one of the youngest. He was medically discharged. He he, uh, was deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. He sustained some um, TBI when he was out there from some explosions and IEDs or whatever it was. And he was medically discharged as an E-4, I believe. So he, I think he's one of the youngest junior Marines to ever achieve his PhD and a legal degree. So that's what Matt started doing after, you know, he left the Marines, got his PhD completed, and he specializes in constitutional law and, you know, criminal defense and stuff now. So, that's when I started learning more things about my case. I mean, I didn't ever have a good lawyer. I had an area defense counsel. Uh, her name was Lindsey Contaveros, Major Lindsey Contaveros, and she was completely useless. Um, they basically just signed this Article 15, get off base. That was my that was my legal defense at the academy. It was not a defense. And unfortunately, as we've learned over the years, is the ADCs just work for the commanding generals. They had no interest in protecting the rights of service members at all. Um, she really screwed up a lot of things in my case because she didn't even fight for me. She didn't even try. And I didn't know any better. I was just listening to what this area defense counsel was telling me as it was true. And a lot of things she told me were not true. I like, you know, what I mean, like we could have fought the false confession. We could have fought how my due process rights were violated harder, but she didn't care at all to help me. And Matt was making me realize these things as he's we review our case and And to be fair, the government was coming after me for over $200,000 on my credit report. So they didn't give me my degree or my commission. But since I did technically finish my degree, um, the Air Force was trying to come after me monetarily. So they were taking 40% of my paychecks and garnishing my wages. Now, I was only—I a personal trainer. I wasn't making a lot of money. So taking 40% of my weekly $400 paycheck was a lot, you know, and The first thing Matt did was try to get them to stop doing that uh, for a little bit and give me some time because they they were crushing me financially. As if what they did to me wasn't bad enough, they made it even worse by destroying me financially. Uh, Wait,
0: this may be a stupid question, but how are they able to access? Like I could see if you had gone to the reserves or you had gone to somewhere else, they would be able to access your paycheck, but they were able to access your civilian paycheck? Yep,
1: yep. They've been doing it for years. They take really? my tax
0: returns.
1: They just take my tax returns. They just do whatever they want. So, hmm. yeah. So if like I said, if, if what they did to me wasn't traumatic enough, they just make sure to keep the man down by literally trying to financially destroy you. So you have no means of fighting back at all. Uh, that's their game plan. That's what they do to these people, including myself. Um, it's horrible, it's massively traumatic, but anyway. So interestingly enough, um, I go to my sponsor family house one night and Phyllis had a newspaper out and it had an ad circled in it for Baker Hughes. Baker Hughes, I had no idea what Baker Hughes was. They are, at the time, they were the third largest oil field service company in the world. Phyllis worked in oil and gas for years and she goes, Adam, the only way you're going to win your case is being able to hire a good legal team. And if you want to make money and start your life over, this is how you can do it. And I'm like, what is this? And I'd been going back to school at the time. I actually went immediately back to school as fast as I could at UC Denver so I could get an undergrad degree. Because in my mind, I was just going to finish an undergrad degree. And since I already completed Marine OCS, I would just commission. I just needed a degree in my mind. What I came to find out was, even though that is correct, I met commissionability requirements that no service branch would touch me. Because at the time I got my DD-214 and I was given a general discharge under honorable conditions.
0: That's not good though. I mean, that's not gonna help you
1: anywhere. Well, I mean, a general discharge under honorable conditions is the only thing I don't get is VA benefits. I mean, it wasn't a bad discharge. Mm, you know what I mean?
0: That's like, kind of that's kind of huge though. That's VA benefits as far as like GI Bill and the actual benefits. I think that's huge.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree, but at least they didn't give me a bad conduct discharge or something that would actually ruin my chances of doing anything ever. You know what I mean? All right, fair enough, I guess. But so yeah, they took away all my benefits and stuff. But I mean, it wasn't a bad discharge, really. It was a, it was an honorable discharge. You know, just you don't get your benefits. OK, fine. But it was signed by the chief of staff of the Air Force at the time, Norman Schwartz. I don't know whose DD-214 is signed by the chief of staff, but mine was. <laughs> so every single recruiting office was like, there is no way we are touching this with a 39 and a half foot pole to reference the Grinch. You know what I mean? They're like, we don't know who you pissed off but we're not going to allow you back in because we're going to be going against the the chief of staff if we do. And we're not doing that. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to start my whole life over. And this is like very common in the oil field is like, I love the oil field now because it gave me a chance to start over where nobody knew who I was. And um, they gave me a $10,000 signing bonus to move to Brighton, Colorado, which was like two hours North of, Parker. And I packed up my truck and I got my first apartment. And it was the first time I was like living on my own, on my own. And I literally just show up. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Cause at this interview, I went to this interview for Baker Hughes and they pretty much asked me, so, uh, do you think you can handle being in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of dudes and really shitty weather conditions? And can you lift and swing an eight pound sledgehammer? And I was like, Yep. And they're like, welcome aboard. You know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I was in good shape and I thought I could keep up and I get out there and you want to talk about sheer chaos. I mean, it was those first two, three months were hard. I mean, we were working 18, 20 hour days. You work 14 days on seven days off and you're traveling everywhere. Whether It's Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, They gave me my truck driver's license so I can move heavy equipment. And uh, I started hydraulic fracturing, which is basically we hook up, they drill, and then we start uh, blowing up rocks, basically, to get oil and gas out of the ground. So the fracking revolution really started in 2012 here in the U.S. uh, with the horizontal drilling technology that just came out. And I was one of the frontline guys to start utilizing that new technology. And it was super cool because – I got to learn so much about something I never knew about. And it gave me an opportunity to excel in something where I wasn't going to be judged on what happened to me at the academy. And I met guys from, I met veterans out there. I met guys from all over the world. Uh, Ironically, the oil and gas industry has a lot of um, immigrants, you know, a lot of people from Africa and and Mexico who come in and work on these crews. And it's hard work, man. I mean, you're out there in 130 degrees in Texas heat or negative 60 degrees in North Dakota in the wintertime. And it's all about you know, you. I mean, I've seen guys die out in the field. I mean, it's 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 a pretty pretty dangerous job. But I loved it and I excelled at it. And just kind of like going back to that Marine Corps stuff, like you know, the harder and more stressful it got, the better I did. And I would say the same thing in the oil field. You know, Um, and I'm sure people have seen the movie Armageddon with Bruce Willis about all those roughneck guys. I mean, that's exactly what it is, man. You got you got people who are broken human beings who their wife divorced them and their dog got hit by a car and and you're, and it's like the military, man. You're you're out there just supporting each other, and it was very much like the military, just with a lot more money, um, and and that's what really started helping me fund my my legal stuff. And I, after I finished my undergrad, and while I was working in the oil field, I started moving up the ladder. So I left Baker Hughes, and I got a job, a promotion move at Noble Energy, which at the time uh, they just got bought out by Exxon or Chevron, sorry, but they were the largest private oil company in the United States. So I went over there as a production lease manager and I started managing pipeline and production facilities and learning more about the production side of stuff. And um, Ashley, my fiance and I, we actually went and started doing our master's degrees at the same time. So I was working full time and I, was out of the, I wasn't I was doing this two weeks on, one week off anymore. So I was doing a normal you know, Monday through Friday at this point working for this energy company. And I was able to go to night classes and finish my master's degree. And I, I finished my master's of science in 2015. And it was oil field specific. So I decided to go get an education and, and do something that's going to benefit me job wise. So after I finished my master's degree, um, I applied to be an engineer uh, with another oil field service company at the time. And I was accepted and I was sent to engineering school for Wireline. So, Wireline is downhole explosive so we get to play with lots of cool things and and blow rocks up so the guys who are fracking can frack so uh i became an engineer and i got another raise and i went back to my two weeks on one week off schedule again because i was back in the field but as an engineer now i was making a lot more money and um that's when i met herb rubenstein right after i finished my master's degree herb is actually one of my instructors in my master's program um and I started talking to him about my case. And he was, he, I guess he was well known in DC. He ran for Congress at one point and he ran an NSA whistleblower case a couple of years ago. And he was very interested in trying to integrate the political side of my case. You know, Matt was about the constitutional argument guy, but Herb even said, you're going to be fighting an uphill legislation and political battle. This is, this is not about you or the academy. This is about upsetting an entire political system that's been protecting corrupt officers for decades. And you're gonna need a lot more fight in you than just trying to make constitutional arguments. And well, to be fair, he's not wrong. Um, this is all this isn't about what's right or wrong or constitutional rights violations. This is about changing an entire political system that's been protecting the military for decades. Um, so Herb came onto the team with Matt, and they've been working on my case ever since. And, you know, I made the decision that. I was going to try to get back into the military. I'm like, I'm going to give this one more shot. None of the active duty guys would talk to me. Um, So I know everyone gives shit to the National Guard. And to be fair, as an active duty guy, I didn't think much of the National Guard either. And I go into the National Guard's office here in Colorado. And it was really strange because I walk into this office and I sit down and I say my name and the guy goes, are you the guy that was in that newspaper article going against the Academy? Cause to be fair, I was interviewed in the Colorado Gazette a few years ago about the Academy and it didn't really go anywhere. And they're like, I know this sounds weird, but we've been kind of waiting to talk to you.
0: We've been waiting for you to come. <laughs> yeah. It was
1: like, I'm like this, this exact recruiting office, huh? Like it was like, like I said, just random, random events, right? Like just by chance. And I get in there and this crusty old like E7 pulls off this rule book off his desk and like covered in dust. It's like I'm from a movie. I swear to got He cracks open the binding and he goes, there is a rule in the National Guard that the governor of the state can override your federal discharge paperwork. If you want to get back in and we will vouch for you. And I was like, no shit. And I was like, all right, let's do this. How do I do it? Because I'm like, I'm gonna go in as an officer because I have my degree and everything else. And they're like, well, there's 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 a couple catches to that. You kind of have to reprove yourself to the military. I'm like, okay, fine. What what do I have to do? They say, well, one, you have to go in as an E4, which is the highest rank we can put you at, even with a master's degree. And I'm like, okay, I will swallow that bullet. Then the next bullet after that was you have to go back through basic training because you've had a five-year break in service. And I'm like, oh, hey, God.
0: I don't understand why couldn't you just direct commission or why couldn't you just. Um...
1: You're the National Guard wanted me to prove to them that what had happened at the Academy wasn't true right they wanted me to prove myself. Uh, yeah.
0: So wait, so wait, let me clarify so they so basically they kind of made up some rules. Um, for you, in order to say if we're gonna do this for you and we're gonna stick our neck out, you're gonna do this for us to show us we should stick our neck out. Is that yep. what I'm that's okay. basically it, you know? Just clarifying because
1: I mean these recruiters, I mean, if they let the Dorito guy back in who got kicked out of the academy and it was such a shit bag according to the academy, and I screw something up, then it looks bad on them for letting me back in. Right. So I don't blame them. And and then the third requirement was I had to go serve into uh, army special operations and a forward support company. Cause it's, I don't know, a little harder, a little bit more hardcore in their mind. And I had to take only one of two MOS's and the two MOS's were generator mechanic or parachute rigor. And I'm like, hmm. well, um, I've jumped out of planes before I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> Cause those are the only two positions available in that specific unit. Right. I is- wanted to go to that unit.
0: What is the actual MLS for a generator mechanic? I'm just curious. It's got to be like in the 88 alpha series that I came from.
1: No. So like rigor is 92 Romeo. And I think generator mechanic is like 92. uh, I don't know, Bravo or something like that. I'm not specifically sure, but it's a 92 series job. Okay.
0: Okay. Um,
1: So I'm like, all right, this is a, and uh, let's be honest. I had a big ego at the Academy with the Marine stuff and everything else. And honestly, It was a fantastic, humbling experience because at 28 years old, going back through basic training and being treated like a fuzzy as the scum of the earth, uh, when all the drill sergeants are my age and they're all like E sixes and E sevens. Right. Um, I think I needed that. It was really good. So I left for basic training in October of 2015 and um, right around that time, one of my good friends at the academy who I went to school with, he had gotten killed in August in Afghanistan. So I was a little bit more motivated, even more like I was like, I'm going to go back and serve and, you know, whatever else. And uh, I get to basic training and you now they pull out your personnel file when they go through stuff. <laughs> and all my Air Force stuff is still listed in there. And we're standing in formation. And I'm, I'm literally trying to be the gray man. Like I am not trying to ruffle leaves with the army. I'm like, I'm just going to sit here and do what I'm told and keep my mouth shut. I learned my lesson.
0: And I'm old as shit. So I already stand
1: out. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I learned my lesson from the Academy. Uh, I'm just going to sit here and do what I'm told and be a good little soldier. Right. And, oh man, I'm sitting there and there's a guy from Ranger Battalion who was already pissed off because he got sent to be a drill instructor (laughs) from ranger bat so he's there and he's all full of piss and vinegar and he's going through personnel files and i just hear dorito get the fuck in my office right now and i'm like okay it sounds familiar i'm like here we go again and i go sit there he's like sit the fuck down and he like sits back in his chair puts his feet up on the desk and he's flipping through my file and he goes
0: are you working for cid (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, actually, I was going to say that earlier because that's a very like good question. Because your equivalent of what you did at the academy, I always heard there was people in our units that were undercover for CID, and I think yeah. that was a real thing. Like, I I do think there really were. Yeah. So this guy's like, this doesn't make any sense. You went to the Air Force
1: Academy, Marine Officer Candidate School, and you're an E4 in the Army, going through basic training again. He's like, bullshit. Yeah. You're working for CID. He's like, and and I can Google you and you worked for OSI. So of course you worked for CID. <laughs> and I was just like, I know this sounds really strange, but I'm here to serve my country. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he's like, you are so full of shit. He's like, get the get fuck out of, out of my office. My office. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> keep your head low. And if you don't make a noise, then we won't bother you. And I'm not going to lie. Base training was a cakewalk because they literally kind of let me do whatever I wanted. Like when we went to the range and I love shooting. So I got to stay on the range and help teach shooting to the guys while everyone else is getting smoke checked and ponchos in the rain and, you know, in Fort Jackson, you know, South Carolina. So I had a pretty easy basic training experience. Um, the drill instructors were super cool when they heard about my story. And eventually I think towards the end of the 13 weeks, they eventually were like, all right, maybe you really are here to serve your country and try to get your reputation back. And we admire you. And that just really sucks the situation you're in, but, you know, go forth and do good things. So I, uh, so you have to graduate airborne school before you become a rigger. So like, it's kind of pointless. If you can't pass airborne school, you're not going to go pack parachutes. Right. So I get sent to airborne and it was, uh, it was a great time. And it was kind of a weird part in airborne, um, where a lot of the guys go through the pipeline at the time where guys in like the SEAL community or MARSOC or Army Special Forces. And they were going through their pipelines at the time. There wasn't a lot of infantry paratroopers there at the time, like 82nd was kind of slowing down with their recruiting at that time. So I got to meet with a lot of great guys and get a lot of good experience, you know, from different service branches going through airborne school. And uh, uh, I did have one bad incident at on a jump though. So it was the only time I've ever pulled a reserve. So I, uh, the turbulence was really bad. Uh, jump number two and we had been sitting in that plane for quite a few hours uh, because they couldn't find a break in the weather so we'd already been jocked up since 3 a.m and we're already sitting in this plane now it's like i don't know six o'clock at night and like this fucking sucks just get me out of this goddamn parachute like i don't even care if it opens at this point just (laughs) get me out of the airplane and uh finally we get a break in the weather and i'm running down the side with my static line. And right as I get to the door, the red light comes on and the jump master sticks his hands in front of me because there was a, and I'm like, nope, fuck this. I'm out. And I committed and I jumped out the door anyway.
0: <laughs> You're like, move out of my way. Here I, am, I come. <laughs> I am getting
1: out of this air. I mean, people were throwing up on the airplane at that time. Here's I'm my like, static line. <laughs> and I mean, it was a bad decision because when I left the airplane, it hit turbulence at that exact point. And the wings shot up super, like on the, it angled out. So, my chute like slinkied. So, I got pulled out of the bag and then like slinkied on top of itself. So, it wasn't fully deploying properly because the uh, it was getting all tangled within itself. So, it was partially inflated. And I didn't really notice at the time. I was just happy to be out of the airplane. And I was the last guy out the door. And I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, they look around for your fellow jumpers and compare your rate of descent. And I look around, I'm like, I am way below everybody else. That doesn't seem correct. <laughs> and I. <laughs> And I look up and I see my chutes all fucked up. And I'm like, that doesn't look good. And then I look down at the ground and I'm the ground's coming up pretty fast. And we're only jumping at 2000 feet, right? So I see this Humvee and one of the, one of the Sergeant Airborne's down there screaming at me on a megaphone, like pull your reserve, you idiot.
0: Oh my gosh. That's scary <laughs> like so- though. I'm a five jump chump. Like I know that's scary. Well,
1: like I said, it's funny because I, you don't really realize it. You know what I mean? Like you don't really realize how fast you're falling because you think you're under canopy, even though it's only partially inflated. So I go, oh, shit. Yeah, I guess I should pull my reserve. So I pull my reserve and it slinkies out because I didn't catch air immediately because I, was, I wasn't I was falling that fast, but I was falling fast enough that it would have killed me, if that makes sense. And eventually the, the reserve catches wind and it inflates. And as it inflates, my other chute fully inflates because it took the tension off the suspension lines that were twisted.
0: And uh so I landed with two full shoots. <laughs> oh my God. And, must have been laughing their asses off at you or just like really pissed at you. Oh, they were no, they were really pissed because they're like, cause I didn't PLF. They're like, fall down. And I'm like, well,
1: I, I literally just did a standing landing. They're like, fall down.
0: But well, I But let's be history. honest, is PLF, I feel like PLF is like sort of like your choice if you want to do it or not. Because like, I mean, sometimes we just really can't do it because we're not, you know, hitting the ground, it, you hit hard. So like, PLF I, yeah, I mean, or don't, I mean, who cares? I mean, let,
1: let's be honest, I was a, I was a pretty big guy with, you know, and we already had combat equipment and stuff. So I mean, like, the fact that I could PLF was incredible, because or didn't PLF was incredible, because I was already super heavy. But when you have two fully inflated shoots, I just like, kissed the ground as I came down and uh then this colonel and the medics run up to me and they're like why did you pull your reserve if you were if you were just gonna do a standing landing and i'm like well <laughs> that's kind of up to the jumper sir he's like now a rigger is gonna have to repack this uh, reserve as well. And you just caused a bunch of extra work for these people. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't die.
0: So yeah. And they have plenty of time to do that. That's their job. So, I know.
1: So, so that was my jump. That was my fun jump story. And then, uh, so I go to rigor school and, uh, down in Fort Lee, Virginia, and I had the same experience. I uh, we're in processing and they're going through everybody's file and they get to my file and this giant African-American E eight, like one of the gods of the rigor community is at rigor school. Cause that's, you know, where they teach it. And first of all, he's one of those guys, he walks in with a battle ax. Like, I don't know where he got this battle ax, but I guess it was like hanging on his wall in his office or something like that. He walks in there and he's going through everybody's paperwork. like trying to scare all these young privates who are becoming rigors. Like, you know, the rigor is the, one of the most prestigious fields in the army. And, you know, they give you that whole fucking speech. Every time you go to MOS school, like everybody's the backbone of the army. You know, I don't know where the arms and the legs are, but everybody's the backbone of the army apparently. So and he gets to my file and he goes, he takes his battle axe. He points it at me. And he goes, you in my office. I'm like, oh no, here we go again. So <laughs> I get into the office and there's a, the company commander was a captain and he was actually from 10th group. So he was an SF guy and uh, he was on some kind of extended duty tour of doing something. And they sit me down, they go, so you working for CID? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not working for CID. I'm just here to be a rigger. And they go, all right, here's the deal. You're in charge of everybody. And I'm like, oh man, come on, not again! And they, they give me this stupid rank. It's like command sergeant major rank on Velcro, and they make you stick it on your sleeve, and like you are now in charge of the entire training battalion and Charlie Company. And I'm like, or Charlie Company, Bravo Company, and Alpha Company, like all the cooks, the fuelers, the riggers, because we're all going to the same MOS training facility. And I'm like, so now I'm in charge of like a thousand people again. I'm like, man, this shit just never ends. So. I um, had a bunch of interesting experiences. Like we had one kid who showed up drunk and then bailed on base in a taxi and like evaded arrest. Uh, you see a lot of dumb privates do a lot of dumb things. So I had, I had week, daily meetings with the company commander and the EA and they would actually, they, I mean, they were really cool about it. They would actually coach me and help me become a better leader and refine my leadership style in the army. And They gave me all this responsibility. So everything was always my fault, but it's fine. I'm used to that. So I had a really positive experience with the army and the army gave me a second chance and they gave me a chance to start over again. So I go back to my unit and I in process to my unit. Uh, I bust my ass for two years. Um, so this is now 2017, right? So I was, I joined the army in 2015, did two years, uh, got back to my unit and we go out to Utah and there's an uh, Apache attack squadron out there, a uh, battalion. And we were doing some training on one of our free fall shoots. And we happened to meet up at a bar with a bunch of Apache pilots from down the road. And they go, Hey, like, if you're really interested in flying again, why don't you come talk to our chief, uh, chief horn officer? I'm like, okay. So I asked permission to skip class the next day. And I go meet with this chief and I tell him my story and he goes, well, if you want to fly again, I'll give you a shot. You know, I'll give you your commission back. You'll go to warrant officer school. You'll move to Utah and you'll become an Apache guy. And I'm like, hell yeah. So like, I finally thought that I was getting everything back that I lost without having to get anything back from the Academy. I'm like, okay, finally, my life is moving on. I quit my oil field job at the time. And I was getting ready to go to Fort Rucker. Like I already had this all planned out with Utah and, uh, to start flight training. And I go down to Carson to do my last medical review to get my stamp for Rucker. And I get to the final station and, the doctor goes dude i'm sorry I, I can't sign your orders to go to rucker and i'm like why he goes you have several major psychological conditions listed on your medical records and i'm like what are you talking about i've been in the army for two years and this didn't come up in MEPS, you know it, but magically it's populated when i want to become an officer and go to flight school you know
0: Well, right, and like everything comes up at MEPS. I mean, nobody gets through MEPS unscathed if there's something in their medical record.
1: That's what we found was really odd is that this stuff had never come up before, all through MEPS, all through Army initial entry training. But magically, when somebody found out that I was gonna go commission again and get my, and go fly, that this stuff populates. It was very, very suspicious. And I get a copy of the records and they're very weird. Uh, they were, and people can see them on my website. If they're interested, they can go to adamdredo.com and go to the evidence page and look at it in real time. And you'll see they're extremely odd because you go through them and they're not very explicit. There's nothing really in them that's relevant. And then you look at them and the date on them is May of 2010 on the first page. And it lists that time. Remember that computer to in episode one, we talked about how I had to go take a computer test, right, the MMPI. So that's in there. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I guess that's legitimate because they have this, the fact that I went in there, met with a technician, which they wrote down. They did not write that I met with a doctor. They even wrote in the record that I met with a technician. Uh, at the time, I was a little bit pissed off about taking the test, which I, that's an accurate statement. I said, the only reason you're making me take this test is because you're trying to kick me out, <laughs> which ta-da, I was correct. Um, Surprise. And, but the thing was, there is no record of the test in my file at all because it came out negative. So there was no diagnosis, no nothing. I mean, I'd never, um, and you can't diagnose off of one test anyway. You have to have multiple in-person sessions to diagnose people with mental disorders. You can't just make them take a multiple question test and then start diagnosing people. And then you get down to the next page and it's listed June of 2011. Well, that's weird because that's a year after I left the Academy. So the the fact that they had a, a note that I took a test, I'm like, okay, that's somewhat accurate. I never met with a doctor at all. I met with a technician, so that's okay. But the fact that I now have several major psychological conditions listed on my record when I was a civilian. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense because I was discharged in June of 2010 and now my medical records are showing 2011 and I have multiple personality disorders and all this other crazy stuff. And then at the very bottom of that page, I'm listed as a major. Ooh, you
0: got promoted.
1: So I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, to be fair, in 2017, I would be a major uh, if I had stayed active duty at the time. Right. Um, So it's almost like I never left the military and I'd been getting promoted this entire time. I guess they owe me a lot of back pay, I guess. So That's interesting. So I contact my lawyers. And to be fair, we had gone to the Air Force Board of Corrections to get my degree and my commission back several times already between 2010 and 2017. I I think I've gone to the board three times. It was denied. Right. Uh, We're not giving you your stuff back. You're a shit bag. Piss off. And that's basically the summary of those replies. But then I'm like, Matt, we got him. We have black and white paperwork that shows that they retaliated against me and falsified my medical records i'm like there's a name there's a date there's a time and a place and the funny thing was is the place they listed it as is fort carson i was in the air force i was never stationed at fort carson how is that possible right so these records are very suspicious this doctor listed on there her name is kristen henley who she's now kristen henley price because she got married since then. I have no idea who Kristen Henley Price is at all. I've never met this woman. I don't know who she is. um, But she was the one making these entries on my medical records. And they were very suspicious. So I contact both of my attorneys and we go, we finally have grounds to file a lawsuit because we've exhausted the administrative remedies with the Air Force Board of Corrections. We've been denied. Um, And these records were falsified when I was a civilian. So this is not going to be in the purview of the military, or at least it shouldn't be, because this is the military violating the constitutional rights of a private citizen. So this is something that the federal court should be able to decide on, because the military should not have jurisdiction over civilians, never mind falsifying medical records, because that's a felony. You're not supposed to be able to do that. So we filed the lawsuit um, and before, right before we filed the lawsuit, this is actually kind of fun. So my lawyers, I talked to my commander about it. I talked to my unit about it and I put my uniform on because it's been seven years, 2017, right? <laughs> my base bandman put my paratrooper beret on and I go right back to the air force Academy with a letter from my lawyers. And I, first of all uh, in the air force, and, and the Army's maroon berets is airborne, right? But yeah. in the Air Force, red, red berets are Air Force Special Operations. But uh, these Air Force people are kind of dumb, I guess, because they thought that I was like some kind of Air Force Special Operations guy uh, with the beret on, but I was not. And I guess they don't know how to identify ranks in the Army because I was definitely an E4. And people are like, like, captains and majors are like saluting me as I'm walking past them. I'm like, this is great. So, I uh, and we were at OCPs at the time, so the Air Force hadn't switched over from ABUs yet, so they don't even know how OCP uniforms work. So I, I, I shit you not, the letter was basically stating, "We know you falsified my medical records. We are asking you to pay out this certain amount to us, give me my degree and my rank back, and I will sign a non-disclosure agreement, and we'll call it good." So I go right back to the place where I got kicked out. I go to the superintendent's office, the three-star. And they let me in, which was kind of fun. Um, well, they had so, to. It's been seven years and you
0: probably still had your cat card, right?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I showed them my military ID and they, and to be fair, it was a new superintendent at the time, right? So all the upper leadership who was there when I was there is now gone by this point. So they really had no idea who the hell Specialist Dorito is. And I go up there and I walk. So the superintendent wasn't there at the time, but his, the vice superintendent was, he was some colonel. And goes, how can I help you? I'm like, here, there's a letter from my legal team. Uh, We need a, we would like a response in 72 hours. And uh, they send a letter back to my attorney basically telling us to kick rocks. We don't care. You're a terrible person. Okay, fine. So we filed a lawsuit in federal court and it was originally uh, called Dorito versus the United States Air Force Academy and Dr. Henley Price and Lieutenant General Michael Gould. So we filed it against those three entities. And the attorney general's office freaks out because they're like this kid actually filed a lawsuit against the academy like no one's ever done that before and we actually serve Dr. Kristen Nicole Henley Price at the time she was stationed in Texas in San Antonio so I had the sheriff's office serve her at her house um, which was found through a private investigator and she immediately uh, and we sent her a letter too at the time and it was we basically offered her a deal saying you tell us who told you to do this And you testify against those people and we'll let you go. Like, I won't come after you civilly or whatever else. She immediately demands protections from the U.S. Attorney's Office, which we found very suspicious. And then we start digging on her a little bit more. And at the time, she actually did not have a license to practice in the state of Colorado in 2011. She got her license in 2012. Caveat to that, in the military, Normally, if you have a, a license or a professional license, you can transfer that state to state and not have to get an in-state license because you're on a military base. But our argument to the licensing board has been, well, I was a civilian at the time, and she had no local state license in the state of Colorado. So she actually legally couldn't treat me, even if she was.
0: Um, she, I guess before we were telling this story, I thought she was military, but so she was a civilian doctor working um no no she
1: was a military doctor
0: okay she was a military doctor okay
1: yeah um so like like i said she 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 has claimed she had a license in georgia or florida or something like that and that's why she was allowed to practice medicine without having a colorado license at the time um which i guess you can do in the military but our argument has always been well i was a civilian in 2011 so you actually Aren't allowed to treat me, even if you did see me and treat me, because you don't have a Colorado license to practice. So the U.S. Mm -hmm. Attorney's Office gets so the U.S. Attorney's Office gets involved, and uh, we actually filed a complaint with her against uh, DORA, which is the Department of Regulating Agencies for Colorado, and they actually refused to sanction her because they say it's a military matter, even though she has a Colorado license, because we are trying to get a license revoked. Um, So we've had we we're going to have to explore. Different options with that because even the Dora board that holds her state license won't take action on her, which is very odd. It just shows you the the scary amount of obscene power that the military has um over even civilian agencies when it comes to professional licensing. So
0: well, is it possible that she was doing her residency and then was had oversight from a, a doctor? And so then she would have been able to potentially do things or do things without supervision
1: so that is very possible and we have never been able to get in the court to go to discovery to find out those facts just yet right they've been very they've been hiding that information to us for us for over uh four years at this point they will not reveal her actual status what she's doing you know how what was going on and between 2010 and 12, when all this stuff was going on, um, we have theorized that that is m- very much the case uh, because she says she was a captain now, but back then she, if that is accurate, she would have been a lieutenant or whatever because she would have been going through her training program still. Uh, and there's no doctors in the air forces that are lieutenants. <laughs> you have to be a captain at least, right? So there's a Mm. lot of there's a lot of suspicious things going on with that because we don't have all the facts about Kristen Henley Price yet because the Air Force has been hiding it from us. And they refuse to reveal it because they claim that, you know, it's private information and and personnel records and things like that. Um, So it's very interesting how the Air Force has been covering for her and hiding her for all these years. And it's also interesting about how she is unwilling to speak out against the Air Force. You know, I mean, if someone told you to do this or someone was acting on your behalf, then, I mean, speak out about this. I mean, this is blatant corruption, but we don't have the full facts of that because we have not been able to get to discovery in the courts yet. Um, The Air Force has been finding every way to get the case dismissed or halted or admin reviewed, which we'll we'll talk about in a little bit. Um,
0: But she's still active duty, right?
1: She is. She's currently stationed in D.C.,
0: Yeah, I wasn't sure if you wanted to mention that or not. We know where you're at. You're in Alexandria.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she lives in Alexandria. Uh, We know that from public records. And uh, we know that she is uh, stationed at Andrews Air Force Base. So,
0: Interesting. And just another idea I wanted to throw out. Is it possible that maybe if she was doing her residency, that she would have had a supervisor that would have been able to override her when she input uh, records into the system and been able to override her notes and maybe go back later and do that? Or That's definitely possible. Um, We would
1: love to know who that person is and who directed this. I mean, I'm going to be 100% honest if Dr. Price ever listens to this episode. I know you didn't do it. I know that you didn't do these things and I know somebody directed to you because not even a captain makes those decisions on their own. Um, please come out and tell us the truth about what happened because we know that's not what happened. Um, I know, I know that she's covering or has basically been directed to by the Air Force and the U S attorney's office to cover for Lieutenant General Michael Gould, or maybe that 06 who was her supervisor to do this, because what this all comes down to is why Why would the Air Force spend this much time and effort to silence Adam Dorito? I am not important. Uh, I don't even have my degree from the academy. I'm a dude in the National Guard who works in the energy industry. I am not important. But I believe the bigger issue uh, to be addressed is the fact that um, at the time, Jamil Cooks, and I'll say his name because it's public record, and he has a public court martial case. He was the person that was convicted for sexually assaulting. Uh, those people in 2009. And since they let him go, he sexually assaulted more people after that. Jamil Cooks was not convicted until 2012. So he sexually assaulted people for several years after I first reported him because the Air Force Academy wanted him to play football. And they needed him to play football. Um, Interesting enough is if you actually look at the statistics, uh, which are actually available on my Instagram on my highlights uh, about the slides on this is that the highest rates of sexual assault ever recorded at the Air Force Academy between the years of 2008 and 2012, which is exactly when General Gould was in command of the Air Force Academy. Mm. Uh, I was there. I was, just, I was a confidential source between 2008 and 2010, uh, which were the highest rates of sexual assault. And then after I left, there were several other confidential sources that were used after me. Um, with the same handler, Agent Munson and OSI, they continued working on those cases after I had left. Um, And they didn't end up finally convicting Jameel Cooks until 2012. And he's raped and sexually assaulted several more women after the first uh, sexual assault in 2009, which I reported. And the fascinating part about that is General Gould retired in 2013. And if you actually do a correlation between sexual assault reporting and football team wins and losses. It's very interesting as sexual assaults increased and the reports were made with OSI football wins decreased because these people are under investigation and weren't able to play Michael Gould. Uh, And in 2013, so in 2012, they just, they found out about the undercover informant program and they disbanded it. General Gould disbanded the OSI undercover informant program. Um, when they found out about this massive shit show it was causing because all these football players were under investigation and all these other people were under investigation. And it was hurting the Air Force Falcon football team because they weren't winning games.
0: The Blue Falcon team?
1: (laughs) Ironically, yes. So (laughs) a very interesting statistic, and I'm not saying correlation, obviously, doesn't equal causation. But in 2012, when OSI was disbanded, uh, after the highest rates of sexual assault between 2008 and 2012, the football team's record was two and 10. Immediately after that, in 2013, when OSI was completely disbanded, the football team's record went to 10 and 2, and sexual assaults drastically decreased. So when reporting was up and these people were almost being held accountable, football wins went down. But when mm-hmm.
0: Okay, I'm tracking now what we're saying.
1: Yep. But now, uh, once OSI and the undercover informant program was disbanded, and sexual assaults drastically decreased in reporting, and football wins drastically went up. And the interesting parts of that is in 2013, Michael Gould retired, officially. And he immediately got a job in the NCAA, um, in the Mountain West. Football Playoff Selection Committee. Michael Gould hasn't played or coached football since 1976. And magically, in 2013, when he retires as a three star general, he is given a six figure year civilian salary to go work uh, for the NCAA. And since the Falcons were 10 and 2, he was one of the people that nominated the Air Force Falcons to go play in the Idaho Potato Bowl, which the Air Force has never qualified for in the past. And that brings in millions and millions of dollars of revenue to the Air Force Academy going to a big bowl game like that. Interestingly enough, um, to backtrack slightly, right after I had left, so June 2010, and people can look this information up as well, Michael Gould helped found something called the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation. Now, everyone knows that general officers cannot be involved in monetary things and private businesses while they are in command, So, because it's a conflict of interest to the government. So this had to get approved by the Secretary of the Air Force, or sorry, the Chief of Staff of the Air Force at the time, who was Norman Schwartz, which is his classmate. So Michael Gould was setting himself up for a nice six-figure-year job salary right after he retired. So he started the paperwork for the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation with his friends in 2010, right after I was discharged. It's amazing how this organization was founded, I believe it was 60 days after I was discharged. And if that entire sexual assault situation was uncovered at the time, I don't believe that that um, nonprofit organization would have been approved by the chief of staff of the air force because these high ranking generals are involved in. it. So in 2013, when Michael Gould retires, he leaves the um, mountain West playoff selection committee, NCAA job and takes up a position as a board member for the air force Academy athletic corporation. Very, very convenient, very convenient how this happens. And this is, this is why I believe I was important now is because if any of this stuff had ever come up in 2010, General Gould would have been found in massive financial scandals with the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation with covering up rapes and sexual assaults and funneling money to the Air Force Academy Falcons. So what is the purpose of the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation? Well, it's very interesting because you can go to their website and sell public information. They are a registered nonprofit and they accept donations that'll use to help fund Air Force Academy Division I athletics. Now, the Air Force Academy is not alone in this. West Point and Annapolis also have organizations like this, where this nonprofit is able to funnel money from various sources into the Air Force Academy um, football team without having to disclose who those donors are. Because as a federally funded service academy, they have a certain amount of money in a budget they have to constrain to. But if they get money from outside donations from anonymous donors that just happen to go to the football team, then that money can be used. Something very interesting to note is in 2010, uh, you look at the two new architecture pieces built at the Air Force Academy. One is the, uh, the, the Polaris Honor Building, and the other one is the indoor football practice field, which was constructed by the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation donations with a few years after I had left after the organization was founded. Well, where does all that money come from? It doesn't come from taxpayers. Because every service academy is only allotted a certain amount of money per year. And they don't have money to just build brand new buildings at a, on a service academy. Well, most of this funding comes to the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation. And I'm not saying who these anonymous donors are. But if you go to their website for the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation, you scroll to the bottom. Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, USAA all have paid sponsorships with the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation. And this goes back to what we mentioned in season one. Oh, sorry, episode one with you, is that the Air Force Academy graduate community is deeply mired into the contractor realm in Washington, D.C. You shake your hand. I scratch your back. You help me out with this. Um, the Air Force is the main economy of of South Colorado. You have Peterson Air Force Base, Tree Air Force Base, Space Command, Fort Carson, the Air Force Academy. There's a lot of money being dealt with down there and lots of contracts being awarded to these various contractors. And obviously Boeing can't just go give the air force $500 million and say, Hey, uh, we're just trying to help you guys out. By the way, will you please buy our satellite. You know, you can't do that. So the air force Academy is also the source of major research projects for space command and the space force and everything else. So, you know, I'm sure if someone wants to follow the financial records, hundred percent, Uh, Which are hard to find because the Air Force Academy doesn't have to, um, Athletic Corporation doesn't have to disclose these things. Is that when these anonymous donors funnel money into the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation uh, to help the Air Force Academy football team, and the Air Force Academy ironically does all this amazing research that certifies some of these government contractors as the best people to win the next contract? I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. Um, And it's concerning because I think that's why the Air Force Academy has spent so much time and effort to um, suppress the pandemic of rape and sexual assault at the Air Force Academy is because it'll stop the flow of money into the respective service academies that the generals take a cut of and also helps funds multi-billion dollar projects in the Air Force and the Space Force. And ironically, um, Troy Calhoun, is the head coach of the Air Force Academy Falcon football team. He is also the highest paid DOD civilian employee in the United States. Troy Calhoun accepts a $400,000 salary from the DOD. And on top of that, the other 400 something thousand dollars is paid to him by the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation. Troy Calhoun makes over 800,000 to a million dollars a year coaching a division one football team at the Air Force Academy. So of course they're not going to speak out and say anything because there's a lot of money being dealt in these situations.
0: And what is also interesting, you and I have discussed, is that your medical records would have been changed in 2011, and uh, Jamal Cook's court martial would have been in 2012. So in theory, if the if his defense team was trying to undermine you in any way and your mental ability, your mental stability, then it would have made sense to put those diagnoses on your medical records. Um, yeah, we can speculate to that. I mean, we don't 100% know the facts of that, but
1: there, I would say there is a strong probability that the reason that the Air Force Academy falsified my medical records without telling anybody, including myself, until 2017, was that um, it was used to discredit my work as a confidential source for osi and it allowed many people to not be convicted of being sex predators at the academy because out of the 30 people that i investigated at the academy for sexual assault and harassment and everything else at the academy only two of them were ever given charges and they were given discharges out of the air force and for example Jamil cook's he just went to Alcorn State University and played division one football within three months of leaving the Air Force as a convicted sex offender. So has
0: he had anything else in his past that we know of since then? Or
1: I honestly don't know. I to be fair, and you know, I'm pretty sure the guy goes through this shit all the time hearing about this stuff on the internet and probably just wants me to be shut up about it already. But um I, I know that I heard that he was being scouted to play at the time uh, by the Green Bay Packers or something like that in the NFL. Um, so Jameel cooks ended up with a lot more money and in a better situation than I did (laughs) out of the air force Academy. And he's not the only one, right? There are, there are multiple other people and people can look this up too. Uh, this is what's been going on. Oh, I would say over the past six to eight years. So obviously football players have been committing rape and sexual assault for a long time at the Academy or, and other people, it's not just athletes or football players, but that's where the majority of them come from. Even Boulder County and Denver County now have refused to relinquish jurisdiction back to the Air Force Academy if cadets are caught in those respective counties. Uh, The only cadets today that are serving any prison time for rape and sexual assault from committing those crimes against civilians or outside the Air Force Academy um, have been in Boulder and Denver. And those cadets are still, or former cadets are still in prison um, now. The Air Force Academy to my knowledge Has never placed any cadet in prison, ever. And ever since 2003, uh, from a court-martial proceeding. Jamil Cooks was not sent to prison, even though he was a convicted sex offender. He was given 90 days' time served, sitting in his room, waiting for his trial. uh, And then he just walked off the academy with his trunk like I did on the side of the road. Um, He never spent any actual prison
0: time. I wonder if he got seven years um, of no of banishment from the Academy as well.
1: Yeah, I honestly don't know. That's it's funny. But um, so I just said, I mean, everyone, that was the biggest criticism I got from Andy's podcast was like, you know, you didn't explain why. You know, why would the Air Force spend so much time and effort to silence you? And to be honest, I didn't want to piss off the grad community. I mean, I didn't want to say like, yeah, the reason the Air Force Academy is doing this is to cover up rape sexual assault from the Air Force Academy Falcon football team it makes grads very angry because they think you're speaking out against the academy and their precious institution that they're so proud of. And don't get me wrong, I am still a proud so-called graduate. I think the Air Force Academy stands for a lot of good things and always has. But there's so much corruption that has been going on in the past decade or so at these various service academies, not just the Air Force, uh, all because of self-interest and money. These general officers set themselves up with a nice six-figure year job outside after they retire, I mean, and and then it just allows more money to be pumped into these service academies from outside resources. General Gould served on the board of the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation until 2019, when he was, he is now has been placed in the position of CEO of the Association of Graduates. Um, as one of my fellow friends from the Air Force Academy likes to say, he's a current, oh, he's a general, he retires as a general owns a brewery in the Springs. Michael Gould is probably the most underqualified person to ever serve as a CEO in corporate America. I mean, the guy has done nothing. I mean, he got his undergrad at the Air Force Academy and then served as uh, a KC-135 pilot. And then magically became a CEO handling millions and millions and millions of dollars in the graduate community and has never actually contributed anything to the local community that hasn't been self-serving to his own bank account. And it's unfortunate because we need better leaders in our military. And the only thing that the military has been encouraging, I would say, since the global war on terror started is for I mean, there's some great officers out there, there's some great leaders. But the guys who make it to the top, these three stars, these four stars, these people serving as CEOs in corporate America who are grads, they're just benefiting themselves and they're taking advantage of the system um, that has funneled millions of contractor and taxpayer dollars to them to so they can personally benefit off of it. So of course the Air Force Academy is going to fight me tooth and nail to protect that system because they don't want to give it up. They don't want to be honest that we do need real reform. You know that retaliating against people for reporting sexual assault by falsifying your medical records is should not be legal and it should not be allowed. I mean, it's very hard for the Air Force Academy to come out and say, well he's just a bad guy even though I've never been arrested and nor do I have a criminal record. So how do they validate to the general public that Adam Dorito is a bad person. Well, they just make it out to be that I'm psychotic. And then they go, well, you're crazy. So of course you're a bad person.
0: Well, and also, I i mean, I didn't want to say this earlier, but to sound fickle, but you were accused of fraternization. Like, so what? <laughs> I mean, in the whole scheme of things, like, okay, so you maybe had a really, at, the, at worst, I'm not saying you did, mm-hmm. but at worst you would have had a, a relationship with somebody that maybe wasn't your same status at the academy. I mean, come on. It happens every day in active duty. It happens. I mean, is it really that it's really not that big of a deal.
1: Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I did a few, like I got that LOR for an email war and you know, Oh Jesus, come
0: on. That is so minor.
1: And then I, I made fun of somebody. Uh, and then I got in trouble for like making memes about them or something. And then, um, I came back from like Annapolis one weekend with a sealed bottle of Kahlua at 21 years old, and I gave it to my commander because I said I wasn't supposed to have it in my room, but it was in my luggage. And then he gave me another like 100 hours of uh, confinement for being honest. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then the, the, and then the thing that actually pushed. So here's the funny thing about the academy has always argued. Well, he had too many demerits, and that's why he was kicked out from you know history of bad behavior. I'm like, well, to be fair, all your demerits were arbitrarily made up. You know, what I mean, like, oh, here's 50 demerits for an LOR, you know, for misuse of government network. You know, here's uh, another 50 demerits for being honest about having that sealed bottle of alcohol in your room after a rugby weekend. Here's another 50 demerits for making fun of somebody. You know, like I, I didn't do anything bad. But the thing that actually pushed me over the 200 demerit limit, it was not the Article 15. It was not fraternization. They gave me, um, some like another fifty demerits, because I refused to take off my Marine Corps Eagle Globe and Anchor off my uniform when I graduated Officer Candidate School, which was an authorized uniform device. And that um, enlisted person who hated the fact that I got my cross commission stood in front of the entire formation of cadets and yelled and screamed at me. Her name is Bertha Ruiz. So you can, I'll call her out too. And she said, take off your damn Marine stuff. You're not a Marine and you're never going to make it in the Marines anyway, even though I had graduated Marine officer Canada school. Right. And I wasn't the best response in front of about a hundred people. I said, Well, Sergeant, if you knew your job and the uniform regulations, you would understand that this is an authorized device and there is no way in hell I'm ever taking off something that I earned. So they made me sit in my room for another hundred hours after that. And that's actually what pushed me over the demerit. It had nothing to do with the article 15.
0: Wow. I would have punched her in the face, but that's just me. Um, Yeah. I mean, like
1: I said, I I had an ego about OCS, but I mean, that was the one thing that I really did earn and I was never going to let them take it away from me. And they used it to actually kick me out of the academy um post graduation. Cause that I, and I have the paperwork showing like my demerits, like what I got demerits for as a cadet over four years. And it's all like bullshit. Like it's it's completely a joke. Like this is like normal college kids on a daily basis do worse things than I ever did. I mean, I didn't even get in trouble for the water balloon Capri something. You know what I mean? Like
0: <laughs> <laughs> at least it would have been that, right? And I
1: and I feel so... Go ahead. Go ahead. At least give me, giving me a punishment for a capricious son and a water blue launcher would have been warranted because I actually could have hurt somebody.
0: <laughs> yeah. And just the fact that we're even talking about demerits with like grown up, grown ass men and women at an academy, yeah. I feel is so just ridiculous. But I wanted to ask you based on what you said earlier, um, have you actually had, I call them ring knockers, but have you actually had other ring knockers from the Air Force Academy reach out to you and um, kind of harass you or express their dissatisfaction with what you're doing? Or are these just rumors that you've heard that they are not happy with the things that you're doing?
1: It's a little bit of both. So to be fair, I actually get, in my opinion, um, a lot more support from the graduate community than unsupported if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know,
1: they actually go, I'm so sorry to hear about what happened to you. I didn't know that was the case. I actually had several people who were really mean to me and bullied the sh- And I'm not, I'm not trying to like make a case for sympathy here, but man, was I bullied like a motherfucker that was that last year, you know, when these kids, like, like, especially after when I refused to take off my Marine Corps stuff, you know what I mean? Like these kids, I just constantly harassed me and I just ignored it. I just let it go and just moved on. But I've actually had several people call me and say, dude, I'm so sorry I treated you like that. I did not know what was really going on. I just believed everything Lieutenant Colonel Christensen said about you. And after listening to your podcast and the evidence and everything else, like you've really got screwed over. And I don't believe what happened to you is right. But then a lot of them say, but I can't publicly support you because I'm still serving as a major and I don't want the Air Force to retaliate against me. So this is the problem is that the Air Force scares the shit out of people from doing the right thing because they don't want to end up like me. They don't want to end up talking to Lindsay Rowland on the Carry On podcast because their life is in shambles, so to speak, from being retaliated against. Um, no, I totally hear
0: that. No, I, I definitely understand that. Nobody And nobody wants to put themselves in that position. And if they don't do it for you, can you imagine all the other things that they've kept quiet about over the years?
1: I know. And, and to be fair, there are a few people that speak out against me. And those are people that were directly involved in my case who uh, I was trying to put in prison. So, you know, like for example, the person who I was accused of uh, fraternization with, You know, she is a horrible person and has actually gotten in trouble multiple times in the Air Force. She's a captain now. And um, she's never going to change her story because she doesn't want to get kicked out of the Air Force for, you know, lying and making false official statements and all this other stuff. Uh, Another kid I investigated for sexual assault is a prominent, was a prominent fighter pilot. Um, And, you know, recently he made racism allegations. And, you know, my response to his 60 Minutes interview uh, to 60 minutes was if you'd like the investigation paperwork on this cadet uh, he was under investigation for sexual assault uh where the woman who he assaulted actually threatened to commit suicide um i will gladly provide that information to you and they still aired his interview anyway um you know so they come out and say i'm a scumbag and i'm a liar and uh the air force now in filings with the 10th district court i mean they got nothing so now what they what they resort to is character assassination and i would say i've i have established myself as an energy professional for the past eight years with a master's degree. Uh, I've had a great career and that's where most of my experience lies. It's not even with the military. I'm a, I'm an energy professional. That's my job. I work at a refinery now and I part-time do the national guard. And I've had a great time in the national guard. I got a seven year history almost with the guard now uh, while well, going on seven years. And uh, my commanders have been fully supportive of me. And even some of the green beret guys that I worked with, um <laughs> have made fun of me. They're like, dude, I have six article 15s. Like this doesn't make any sense about what's happening to you. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I have like um,
0: three GoMars and an extended, uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> my, my command sergeant major, my unit is
1: like Dorito, like they destroyed your life over this. He's like, you're not even allowed to get promoted on the teams unless you have an article 15. Like this doesn't make any sense, you know? Uh, I think it's just so like because
0: the line is so blurred between the academy and like reality in the military, and even though that's not always a great reality, like the blur between the lines just keeps you sort of like unable to move forward.
1: Yeah, and but like I said, it's uh it, it comes down to the money. You know, it comes follow the money. The Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation, the football team, handles millions and millions and millions of dollars by contractors that backed by billions of dollars of taxpayer money. And of course, they're going to silence sexual assault victims and people like myself who speak out against it because it takes away from their honeypot. And the people that do speak out against me, you know, I have nothing against them. I mean, they're just trying to protect their own reputation because God forbid if the truth ever came out, about the people that are actually serving in our country's, you know, officer uniforms, if that ever came to, to surface, it would not be good for them, you know, about there's a lot of corrupt officers in, in the US military. Now, there's a lot of good ones too. I mean, I've worked with some great ones as well. But some of these people have used the system to benefit themselves financially and personally. And, um, you know, like I said, the Air Force Academy's got nothing left. They know they screwed up. They know the evidence is there. It's in black and white that they falsified my medical records. So now they just result to character assassination. Uh, they've tried to use how I was recruited for OSI, so-called talking to this underage person who I know I idea who she was. The Air Force has tried to come out and say I'm a pedophile. Uh, that I hate women, that I'm a misogynist, and I don't like Asians, or something like that. And that's in official filings that the Air Force Academy has filed with the 10th District Court. I mean, they're they're just throwing anything at the wall to see what sticks. And my lawyers just laughed. They're like, "Wow, they they've not, they're just now resulting to calling you mean things because they have nothing else left to to try to burn you down with because you're too open and honest about your case." And an interesting thing about that whole situation where I got recruited for MSI. Um, there is no record of Adam Dorito with the Colorado Springs police department with OSI involving any person who potentially was underage on a dating website. It doesn't exist. Well, so um, they made it all up fear. I mean, that's, that's very possible about they made it up. And that was how they were recruiting informants. They made me th- thought that I was doing something bad even though I really wasn't and they just needed to get me in the door to sit me down and tell me how much of an honorable trustworthy person I was to work as a confidential source um it happens all the time
0: well and another question on that one so I'm assuming the age and correct me if I'm wrong so the age of underage was 19 and is that in is that was that in Colorado at the time or is that an army is that an army thing
1: no, so this person, this person said they were nineteen on this dating website, and uh, I mean, under, I think it's under the age of eighteen or whatever. And they uh, they said that I was talking to somebody who was under the age of eighteen, but I had no knowledge of that. So that's why it's a thing. If that actually happened, I would have been punished. I would have been arrested. I would have been prosecuted if if any of that was true. And none of that happened. Like mm-hmm. I was given an I was given an LOR for misuse of government network, <laughs> like being on a dating website on my cadet laptop. <laughs> that's it. That's all that happened.
0: That's so it. the whole thing spiraled out of control for a possible, just a possible lie in the beginning. Yeah, yep, yep. Because Sit I with was, that for a second. Sit with <laughs> that for a second, listeners.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's insanity. But I think, I, like I said, I, I think they got really mad once I kind of figured out what was going on with the football team and the money and they didn't want that system exposed. So they have to spend the past 10 years uh, trying to ruin my reputation, and uh, I just keep throwing it right back in their face. Um, and I like if people listen to the Dark Saber podcast, uh, you'll get v- like viscerally upset listening to these cadets who are are going to be our future officers talk about how they're being assaulted and retaliated against. Now, you know this isn't ten years ago. This is going on right now, and they are trying to silence those cadets. They've threatened if they speak on the Adam Doritos Dark Saber podcast that they're going to be punished. You know what I mean? Um, and there's no way in hell I'm ever gonna stop giving those kids a voice. I will, I will, I will keep interviewing people until that system changes. I I don't care what rank you are. Like, you know, one thing you realize as a civilian when you get out is nobody cares about what rank you are. You know, I, I always give the comparison. Myself and a three-star general could be walking down the street in civilian clothes and um a homeless guy could ask us for some money and he doesn't care what our rank in the military was. The only thing he cares about is that we're willing to help them. And whether I win my case or not, um, it's not about me anymore, you know, maybe for the first couple of years, I was pretty pissed off and I I just wanted justice for myself, but I now see the impact that my team is making on these people's lives and we're never going to stop giving them a voice to tell their story. And our only objective now is to change the system so that what happened to me never happens to anyone ever again. Um, And I had some financial resources because of my job to help pay for these attorneys. Uh, you know, the Air Force gamers just run me out of money. They're they're getting very good at doing that. You know, so we're hoping that we can team up with some maybe some nonprofits in the future to help provide legal resources to these people. You know, to help them. Because I'm not going to lie, I've spent over three hundred thousand dollars in legal fees in the past ten years, and I don't know anyone in the military who has those kind of resources.
0: You know, wow. and I
1: and I will I will never get that money back, you know. And that's that's me working 18, 22 hour days in the oil field for several years. You know, um, my fiance gets kind of pissed because you know, she she's like, You're spending all our money on on lawyers. And I'm I'm just so dedicated to the cause now that this isn't about me. And, and there's a very real chance I wouldn't win, you know. And like just this morning, we actually so this is new information for you, uh, from my case update is you know, the 10th District Court of Appeals gave the Air Force their motion to dismiss granted. And, and it sounds bad, like it sounds like the Air Force One, but it's it's different. So they actually agreed with us that the falsification of mental, of mental health records is a violation of somebody's constitutional rights. However, they are not going to rule on giving me any type of justice at this time because they believe that this is a military matter and I need to go back to the administrative review board again to request relief and until that board rules against me again um then they will take up the case and, and and make a ruling on it but it just gives us another spiraling few years of sitting and waiting for the air force and, you know our biggest argument was my records were not falsified when I was in the military my records were falsified when I was a civilian so this is why the federal courts need to take up this issue and rule on it and the the federal court system which is what I'm hoping to work with like your guys' team on like they're they will not rule on military matters. Now the military has this like supremacy, like this sovereign immunity where they just do whatever they want and no one's holding them accountable. And I think this is in the next few years, hopefully that we can make a real change when it comes to holding our military leaders and our military service branches accountable to not violating the rights of the members that serve our country to protect those constitutional rights I mean, that's, that's the bigger dimension. I understand that. Yeah. You can't speak out against the president of the United States. Okay, fine. I get that one. You know what I mean? But there's no way that our service members don't have the right to due process their privacy. Um, all the, their fourth amendment rights, all of them. It's just, it's unfair. And what type of people is that going to inspire to serve in an all volunteer force in the future? You know, it's only going to continue to attract the bad actors And this is what our military is dealing with now is that we have so many people who are willing to uphold a corrupt system because it financially and personally benefits them that no one's willing to stand up and do the right thing because they feel like if they try to, it's going to be completely hopeless, that they're never going to get anywhere because they're going to get mired in a 10-year court case that they're never going to get justice with. And that's why a lot of sexual assault survivors commit suicide. They're, They're never going to get justice. They know nothing's ever going to happen. And they take their own lives. And it's sad. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to prevent, I'm trying to prevent that because I'm trying to show people that there is hope for you, that if we work together and we change the system, that we can hold generals accountable, you know, that we can bring these people to court, that we can make these people responsible for poorly treating their airmen, their marines, their soldiers, their sailors, and that the military is not supreme to the law of the land that operates in their own special community, as the federal courts like to call it. You know, the the military is a separate society. Therefore, they're outside the jurisdiction of the federal courts. I I completely disagree. And I think that's something that the Supreme Court needs to take up in the future to make sure that, you know, we, the people, uphold these constitutional rights and that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land for any governing bodies, including the military. The military should not be treated as the fourth branch of government where they have un- do powers against their own people and the citizens of our country, where they can just apparently go in and just change your medical records whenever they want. And there's nothing that you can do about it because, well, it's the military and they live in a separate society. That's not, that's not fair. And I think um, our judges need to really take this issue up and and address that because Congress isn't going to do it. You know, we we're hoping that maybe Congress changed their mind after listening to this podcast, because I'm going to come knocking on your doors. I promise you, I am not going to give up on this until, until you people do your job. Right.
0: And, and as we talked about earlier, we have proposals for you. You know, we talked about putting, putting um, a check in place where doctors cannot go back in and change your medical records. That's a simple step in the system where you cannot put, you cannot record anything in someone's records if they're no longer your patient, or if they, when they PCS and they clear a base, like they're no longer physically there, you cannot go back and add anything to their records. I mean, that's, that's too easy. I mean, yeah. We're not asking for, you know, we're not asking for anything crazy here, but we're definitely, I, I'm definitely um plan to help you take up these issues, but we're gonna bring solutions to the table as well, not just complaints. We're gonna bring like actual solutions.
1: Exactly. And I think, you know, even though we are given another dismiss and we're giving it we given another run around in the court system again. So this is gonna last another few years. I I did believe we did have a big win today, though. And that that win was the the courts did set precedent today that changing somebody's medical records, is a violation of somebody's constitutional rights. Now, the only thing we need to get them to change their mind on is that, that yes, they can, in fact, rule on military matters because those people also fall under constitutional protections. So we're hoping to do that on the next filing uh, after this next Air Force Board of Corrections, which could also take another year or two. You know what I mean? Um, but like I said, I already won one board. So I've already beaten that 6% average, and I think I can win another one.
0: Oh yeah, I have full faith that you're going to just keep moving forward and breaking down doors. But I do I do want to recap real quick all the things that we that you want out of this. And let me see if I got them all right. You want your medical records changed or and you want the diagnoses that that are on there completely removed. I want
1: any false information that are in my medical records removed so that I can commission in the Army National Guard. Yes.
0: And you want your degree back.
1: Yes. I, all I'm asking for is whatever. So my degree. Yep.
0: And In then we're commission. looking at doing some possible legislation on preventing medical records from being changed. And then of course, now you're on your mission to give voice to, to these issues, which is, which is absolutely amazing. And obviously I support that. Or you wouldn't be on my podcast. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate. It. I mean, that's, uh, you know, those are the, those are the changes I would make. And, you know, something I've even proposed to other people, you know, they ask me all the time, you know, what are, What are some things you would change about the academy, the academies and that process to help change the system? You know, uh, number one is that I would knock all division one sports out of our academies. I would take them down to division two or three so that the primary reason for you coming to our military academies is to be a leader and to be an officer. It's not to be a professional football player. Um, We need to refocus our efforts on developing intellectual leaders who care about their people versus allowing this culture of systemic rape harassment and retaliation to exist. The second thing I would do is mandate that if you are accepted to a service academy, that you actually have to go to basic training in whatever respective branch, and you have to serve two years enlisted prior to accepting an appointment to an academy. I believe that some of the best officers I've ever worked with were prior enlisted because I think um, they really understand how to treat their enlisted and what they need. And it also makes our younger officers a little bit more older and experienced. You'll commission at you know, 26 years old versus 24 or 22, depending on what age you enter the academy is at. Um, I, I think that's a good step forward in making better officers who are committed to being officers and not just trying to five and dive and get out and financially benefit themselves as a CEO of the Air Force Academy Athletic Corporation or something, right? And, uh, and the final thing that I would change is I would remove all uh, legal processes from commanders. Uh, when it comes to rape and sexual assault, I don't believe they're not lawyers, they're not police officers, they don't understand constitutional law. Like, for example, if Major Hubank, who was a military police officer, right, that was his MOS in the army, had treated my case, you and I wouldn't be talking because he would have handled it completely different uh, versus Lieutenant Colonel Christensen, who just came in and gave me Article 15 and took everything away from me. Um, The laws and how people are treated in the military, especially when it comes to rape and sexual assault retaliation, should not be handled by um, commanders who might have a commander bias and might have unlawful command influence. And I think if we take that power away from commanders, which is something I know the Military Justice Improvement Act is trying to do, um, mm-hmm. you know, we could take we could take it a step further and continue on with that. Um, but I believe those are the top three things I would change about our service academies, and that would help benefit our military greatly.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree with you on the sexual assault. And I think, Um, What I what I see happen is I do think that bill will pass eventually, maybe not this year, but next year, but hopefully this in this Congress. And then I think you'll see hopefully the Brandon Act. And I know you're familiar with that. You'll see that pass as well. And not that we're trying to take command and control away from commanders. But it's time to like it's time to give other people a view inside of what is going on and to make decisions, because apparently what is happening and what is going on right now is not working. So
1: exactly. I mean commanders are going to have to deal with their day-to-day stuff from UCMJ and that's what I'm not trying to take that power away just like you said, right? You know, commanders have to be able to command their troops. I understand that. But when it comes to rape, sexual assault, harassment, retaliation uh, no way should they have any power in that because they're just going to try to benefit themselves, so they don't get trouble for <laughs>
0: suicides, letting soldiers go to mental health. I mean, all those things, and we know that they impact we they impact um, mission readiness, they impact unit readiness. But if someone else can alle- alleviate the those issues from command and work on those issues, I think we will be stronger all around.
1: I 100% agree, and you know, so a cl- closing thought on that would be that mental health should not be view it as a way to retaliate against people. It should be okay for all of our military service members to seek um, mental health resources. In my opinion, I think everybody should have a therapist. You know what I mean? No, Um, they're great.
0: I mean, they're great. They talk to you. They walk you through like situations. I mean, what what, more could you want?
1: (laughs) I think that is a way to help reduce uh, PTSD from developing our veterans. um, And it's a way that it's okay to talk about what's going on in your life and staying closed up and never saying anything is just a recipe for disaster down the line when it comes to domestic violence or suicide or anything else. uh, Mental health should not have a stigma in the military uh, because I I can't speak of many positive experiences I've heard even now from cadets where they go seek mental health resources and because they're having a hard time and they've been locked in the room for nine months and now they lose their pilot qualification. Like you gotta be kidding me, that's insanity.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for being here today and um, for sharing your story with us. And we look forward to the work we can do together and the work that you're going to continue to do. Is there anything else that you would like to say before we end?
1: No, I I would just encourage people to uh, listen to the Dark Saber podcast, Uh, visit my website, adamdorito.com and feel free to follow Dorito versus USA on Facebook or find me on Instagram, just Adam Dorito or on Twitter. Same thing, Adam Dorito. I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, And look for the the cartoon picture eyes of me in my uniform. There's a couple of fake accounts out there from like Yemen. Uh, those are not me. Uh, so you know, um, yeah, just just be aware <laughs> Noted. of it. Um, but yeah, and, and please if you if you are currently a cadet at West Point Annapolis or Air Force or even active duty guard reserve and you're having issues navigating mental health resources or you feel like you're being retaliated against or you've been sexually assaulted and don't know what to do, please feel free to reach out to me or Aaron Scamlin or John Staley on my podcast team. We'll we'll be happy to help you tell your story or help you seek resources um, and advice from legal counsel or anyone else who can help you get through what you're going through.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Adam.
1: Thanks again, Lindsay.
0: All right. Thank you for listening today. Check out and like Carry On Podcast on Facebook and find us on Instagram. Don't want to miss an episode. Subscribe to us on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a show idea or a case that needs some advocacy or attention or legislation you want to support or propose, hit me up at podcastcarryon at gmail.com and we will see you next time. Thank you.